This morning we, um, we're continuing our study through Ephesians. If you're visiting with us this morning, we have been going through this for some time now. Um, and uh, we're going to continue through the end. Um, this morning we get to uh, pick up where Paul left off with the worthy walk. You might remember at the beginning of Ephesians chapter 4, if you don't remember, you take your Bible and glance back. The beginning of chapter 4 started out pleading with us to walk worthy of the call to which we have been called. In other words, it's not that you're ever going to be worthy enough to receive this call. You have received the call in spite of your unworthiness by the grace of God and that alone. It was undeserved. You didn't do anything to, receive, to, to, to earn it. It was something that God gave to you as a gift. He called you and now we are to walk worthy of the call to which we have been called. In other words, if, if God has called us to this life in Him, then we need to now live out the, what, the, what He's called us to. And the way that we're going to do that is by walking in humility, by understanding that I don't deserve to be here. I don't deserve to be here. I'm the least likely one that deserves to be here out of everyone. And then I walk in gentleness, I consider others before myself, and then I walk in long-suffering. I make sure that, um, that I don't have a short fuse, but I have a long fuse, that it takes a lot to, to set me off. And then I walk in forbearance. I'm bearing with others, and that means that I, I hold up under their flaws and their failures. And the reason why this is the worthy walk that He's called us to is because we have to maintain the unity that God has brought us to. There's one body, there's one spirit that has called us, there's one call, there's one Lord, there's one baptism, there's one God, and we have all been called as diverse people into the same thing, and we have to maintain that unity that He has called us into. And the reason we have to maintain that unity is because God has saw fit that the way that we're going to become His temple the way that we're going to become the house and the body of Jesus Christ is by gifting every believer with gifts so that when they come together and every part does its share and every part is working properly, and that, maintain, that has to mean unity has to be maintained, correct? When each part is working properly, growth occurs in the body. He said that we attain to the unity of the faith. We come to a common knowledge of the truth. He said that we come to uh, grow up in all things, that we become the measure of the stature of the fullness of Jesus Christ. We grow up into the image of God that He is trying to make us to be. But it requires a worthy walk in this, requires humility, long-suffering, gentleness. It requires forbearance. It, because all that is required to maintain unity. And unity has to be maintained because we have to work together or we can't grow. And then he picks right back up on the worthy walk here in verse 17. Look what he says again in verse 17. Now this I say in testifying the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. And so he's carrying this theme. My goal in this study is to be able to back out in Ephesians, zoom out far enough so that you can see the big picture and not just get zeroed in on the individual verses, even though there's a lot of meat there and a lot for you to learn there. I want you to be able to see it in the context of the whole book. 
And so in order to understand chapters 4 through 6, you need to understand that every bit of this is about walking worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And so we walk in the lowliness of our high calling, and then we walk in the newness of our high calling. We can't walk the same way that the rest of the world walks, the way that you and I used to walk. We can't walk that way. To keep this theme going, go with me to Ephesians chapter 5, verse... Um, I didn't give this one to Nathan up here. It may take him a minute. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 and 2, he says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love. And so we're going to imitate God and we're going to walk in love. So he's showing you all the different ways that we walk worthy of the calling in which we've been called. In uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8, he says, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the world. So walk as children of light. If you were to go over to verse 15 of Ephesians 5, he says, Look carefully then how you what? Every bit of this from, from chapters 4 all the way through chapter 6 is about this is how you walk in who you are. This is the way it looks and this is the way that you walk so that you are walking worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And so again he says look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise. And so we're going to be examining some of that. I'm only going to do one more lesson because you're going to get into the worthy walk of the family. And Nick's going to pick up on February 10th with the worthy walk of the family. When you get to Ephesians chapter 5, somewhere around 20 or 21, I think it is, he moves into, okay, this is what it looked like in the church as a whole. This is what it looks like in individuals and the way that the walk looks worthy. And now this is what it looks like as the family unit. This is the way the family unit reflects the glory of God. This is the way the family unit reflects who Jesus is to us. And this is the way that wives do it, and they live out this image. And this is the way that husbands do it, and this is how they live out this image. This is the way that fathers do it, and this is how they live out that image. This is the way that children do it, and this is the way they live out that image. This is the way masters do it. This is the way servants do it. It's all about this is how, no matter what kind of relationship you have, this is how you walk worthy of the call to which you have been called. And so in light of that, today, let's look at the new walk of our calling. That's the title of this message this morning. The new walk of our calling. Look what he says here in verse 17 again. Back up to chapter 4, verse 17, where we started. <clears throat> He says, now this I say and testify in the Lord. In other words, I say this to you, but as God is my witness, I say this to you. I testify in the Lord that this is absolute truth, what I'm fixing to lay down to you. And anybody that speaks it otherwise, they don't have no leg to stand on. And so what is it that he wants us to know? You must what? Know longer. There is a new walk that comes with your calling. Now as I told you in the Lord's Supper, yes, he sympathizes with our weaknesses. Yes, as Paul said in Romans chapter 7, we still battle with this flesh. And as a matter of fact, the sin that I do, it is not I, but it's the sin that lives in me. 
that's doing this now. The new I don't have a nature of sin, but I'm still struggling with this flesh that I'm living in. But he says here that in spite of all that, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. In other words, as the rest of the world does. As the unbelievers walk, you cannot walk the same way. There has to be a new walk. So how do they walk? Well, it says here that they walk in the futility of their minds. Literally, this word means the emptiness of their minds, the uselessness of their minds. It's all vanity. You might remember the book of Ecclesiastes because it's the same word. When you go back to Ecclesiastes and you hear Solomon say, Vanity of vanities. It's all vanity. It's the same word, only in the Hebrew that he's using, the same word that means it's all useless. It's all meaningless. It has no purpose. It leads nowhere. And this is where the world is walking. And so in order to understand that, go back with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 1. I'm going to have it up here for you if you don't turn to it. Ecclesiastes chapter 1 verse 2. Look at what he says. He says, vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. There are some versions that you can look at that would say, meaningless and meaningless, says the preacher. Meaningless of meaninglessnesses. It is all meaningless. There are some versions that literally say, useless, it's all useless. Now this is Solomon. Do you know anything about Solomon? He was the wisest man on the earth, right? He was the richest man that ever lived on the earth. He was the, the, probably one of the most powerful men that ever lived on the earth. He had more wives than any man that ever lived on this earth. He had more servants than any man that lived on this earth. More horses, more gold, more silver. He built the house of God. Is there anything in this world that Solomon did not possess? He, had, he, he literally had it all. And then he comes and he writes Ecclesiastes at the end of his life, and this is what he says about it. This is the way he starts the book out. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. It's all meaningless. It's all useless. I have spent my whole life searching after this. Look at some of the things he said in um, Ecclesiastes chapter 1 verse 14 he said I have labored and I have got and I have seen everything that is done under the sun and behold all is what? It's meaningless. It's useless. And it's a striving after the wind. What does it mean striving after the wind? Can you get it? You're always chasing something that you will never actually get. That's the truth. Go with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 1. We'll go through just a few verses here. I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. In other words, Solomon said, in my life, I looked and said, I tell you what, I, I, here's how I find meaning in this life. It's about eating and drinking and being merry. Life is about just enjoying. Life is about finding your happiness and you being happy. And Solomon said, I'm going to chase after that. Come, heart. Here, I'm going to test you with pleasure. But behold, this also was... Go with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 10. Now you may be able to read Ecclesiastes in light of what the purpose of this book was about. Um, Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 10. Do you have that one? 
There he is. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is Ecclesiastes, I'm not going to go through all of them. Go to Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13 and 14. Here's where Solomon ends the book. After spending the whole book telling you that I've chased wisdom, I've chased money, I've chased power, I've chased uh, goods of this world, I've chased pleasure, I have spent my life chasing everything that this world has to offer, and here's what I have found. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Here is what the most powerful, richest, smartest man in the world has to say at the end of his life. Everything that my heart went after, apart from fearing God and keeping His commandments, useless, meaningless. It had no purpose to it. And so this is what we learn when we get to the end of it all. I'm sure some of you have realized that. Some of you have faced death before. Some of you have, have maybe laid on your deathbed or maybe you've been in that place where you thought, well, this is it. And let me ask you a question. Did any of it matter? None of it matters. And so when going back to Ephesians chapter 4, he says here, the Gentiles walk in the uselessness, in the meaninglessness of their minds. It's all vanity. This is a useless walk. Everything I chase after means nothing. And they do it because of, you keep reading there in verse 18, they are darkened in their understanding. They are alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. And here's the root of it. It's all due to the hardness of their heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality. Go with me to Romans chapter 1 verse 19. I know I cover this scripture a lot, but this is my favorite scripture to preach in all of the Bible because it reveals my heart to me. It shows me why mankind is the way that it is. In verse 19 he says, For what can be known about God is plain to everybody. Because God has shown it to them. His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. And look at verse 21. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God, nor would they give thanks to Him, but they became what? Futile in their minds, in their thinking. Here's what happened. They looked at all of creation and they knew that God is real and that God exists. But instead of acknowledging Him and honoring Him and giving Him thanks, they wanted their own way, their own thing. They wanted the world. And so they set their hearts and their minds on that. And they refused to honor Him and give Him thanks. And as a result of that, they became darkened in their understanding. It goes on to say that Claiming to be wise, they became fools. They looked at their pursuit of this world and their neglect of God and they said, this is a wise thing to do. This is where I find my pleasure. This is where I find my heart's desire. And then they became fools because they became darkened in their understanding 
And then it says here that they become ignorant. It was the ignorance that was in them. And then finally, it is all due to the fact that they have a hardness of heart. Keep reading with me Romans chapter um, 1, verse um, starting in verse uh, 22 again. Or no, I'll start in verse 21, I'm sorry. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. In other words, they, they saw the immortal God in all of creation, and instead they looked at all the things that man could make, and they said, I want that. And they made a dark trade. They said, I would rather have this creation than I would have the immortal, glorious creator. Keep reading with me. In verse 24, Therefore God gave them up. Why did God give them up? Because they gave God up. They gave God up. They said, we don't want to honor you. I know we can see you clearly, but we don't want you. Therefore God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature... And men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in them the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. Now with all that in your mind, go back to Ephesians chapter 4 again and let's read this one more time. Ephesians chapter 4 beginning in verse 18. They are darkened in their understanding. They are alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. It is due to their hardness of heart. And as a result of this, look at verse 19. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality. That means an unbridled fleshly life. What happens to a, a horse that you ride that don't have a bridle? He does whatever he wants to do, right? And he says here they have become callous. They have given themselves up to an unbridled fleshly life. This is the result of that. It's a downward spiral. Listen, as a Christian you can no longer walk in this way. Because if you do, you're continuing down a downward spiral that leads to a more calloused heart, a more calloused mind, and it will lead to darker and darker and darker things. How many of you know that sin only leads to more sin? And so what he's saying here is be very careful because a Christian can fall into this. The Bible says David was a man after God's own heart. Now you think about this. A man after God's own heart. That was God's testimony about David. And then if you were to go to 2 Samuel chapter 11, here's what you'd read. At the time when all the kings were supposed to go out for battle, David got up out of his bed at about dinner time. And walking on his roof, he saw a beautiful young lady and he wanted her. And he had her brought to him and she became pregnant. And you would have think that David, a man after God's own heart that was supposed to have been in battle to begin with, right? It was at the time that the kings went out to battle. Probably shouldn't have been in bed 
at um, noontime is what they said. He got up to walk. In the evening actually is what it says. In the evening David got up to walk on his roof. And then he's, he's looking off and, and, and looking at this married woman and instead of recognizing this, he pursues it. And then you would think it would stop right there, but it don't. Then he goes and, and when he finds out she's pregnant, he says, well, we need to get her husband to come home so that he can go spend the night with her and it'll just look like it's him. And then it don't stop there because when the husband comes home, he says none of the other men are getting to come home to sleep with their wives. There's no way I'll do this when none of the rest of them get to do this. And David says, what am I going to do now? You'd think David would have stopped right then because this was one of his mighty men. This was a man that had literally sacrificed his own life for David's many times. But he don't stop there. He says, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll get my commander to put this guy on the front of the lines and make sure that he dies before he comes back home. And then I'll just have his wife. When you look at that progression, this was a man after God's own heart that became calloused. Look at this right here. They have become callous. You know what a callous is? I know some of y'all city folk don't know what a callous is. But a callous, for those of you that don't know, is one of those things that if you use post hole diggers very much or you have to use a shovel or you have to do much with your hands, it's going to be something that just rubs up right here and, and it becomes a hard place so that you no longer feel the pain that you used to feel in that spot. And here's what he's saying. If you continue to live your life in the old way, you just become more and more callous. And you get to a point that you don't even feel the shame anymore. You get to a point that it's just easier for you to just go on and do the next thing. And then you get to a point where you just give yourself up to an unbridled fleshly life. Sensuality. Whatever I want to do, that's what I do. This is the downward spiral. This is the progression that Paul is trying to help you see that a Christian that's been called out of darkness into the light, this ain't your walk. It can't be your walk. This is the walk of the world. This is what they do. This is not what you have learned. They become greedy to practice every kind of impurity. It's a downward spiral. But in verse 20 he says, listen, this is not the way that you learned Christ. This is not what you learn from your calling. But then he makes a statement, assuming that you have heard about him. In other words, the only way that you can walk worthy of this calling, the only way that you can truly walk in this new walk, you had to have first heard the call. You had to have first saw that you were a rebel against God and that you needed to surrender yourself to him and follow him in obedience through faith in Jesus Christ. So I'm assuming that you heard about him and I'm assuming that you have been taught in him as the truth is in Jesus Christ. So what is the truth that we learn in Jesus? Well, we learn from Jesus that we don't live for the glory of God. We live for our own hearts and our own minds. We live for what I want, for what makes me happy. We, learn for, we, we live for the vanity of vanities. Just like Solomon just like David in certain times of his life. And we have to come to this place to where we see the truth in Jesus, that Jesus teaches us that we don't live for the glory of God, but we are supposed to. 
And then we learn that we don't honor Him and give Him thanks. But in Christ, we have the call. In Christ, you have heard the call to put off the old self and to walk in the new walk. So go with me to verse 22 and let's see the, um, what the old self is. Look what he says in verse 22. Here's the truth that's in Jesus. To put off your old self. To get a better understanding of what this is, look at Colossians chapter 3, verse 3 with me. He gives a more detailed explanation of this old self. Colossians chapter 3, verse 3, he says, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. So put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. So here's what you see in this in layman's terms. The old self is the old mind that was futile. The old self is the old heart that was hardened and darkened in understanding. And the old self had practices that was a result of that mind and that heart. And so in order to put off the old self, and if you're taking notes this morning, here's your second point. You must put off the old self. It don't come off on its own. It is a command you must put off the old self. You have to hear the call. You have to see the truth. You have to be taught in Christ. And then by the power of the Holy Spirit, you have to make the decision to put off the old self. And the old self is this futile mind, this hard heart toward God, this life that says, I don't want to honor God. I don't want to give Him thanks. I want to live for me. And it manifests itself in practices like you read just then. And so in order to put off the old self, you have to put off this old feudal mind. You have to put off this old hardened heart. And you have to put on this new self. And so going to the next point, number three, you have to put on the new self. It's not something that just naturally happens. You have to put it on. And who is the new self that is put on? Well, in Colossians chapter 3 again, we stopped in verse um, 9, I believe it was. So let's, um, let's start reading in verse 10. And have put on the new self. Here's the new self. Which is being renewed in what? Where is knowledge at? The word, but where is knowledge at? So the old self is putting off the feudal mind, right? The new self is putting on what? You need the knowledge of God in order to put on the new self because it's a renewed mind. It's a mind that sees the truth. It's a mind that understands why I exist. It's a mind that understands what my purpose is in this world. And now, with that renewing, I'm going to live according to that. It's also after the image of its creator. It's renewed in knowledge 
And it's after the image of Jesus Christ who is the image of the invisible God, according to Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. And so therefore, in verse uh, 12, put on then this renewed mind, just like you put off the old mind, put on the renewed mind in the image of the Creator, and put on the practices that come with it. Now you need to get this, because this is not some moral rehabilitation. This is not some, you need to act better and you need to do better. This is, you've got to put off this old mind and its way of following life. You've got to put off this old heart and its desires and passions. And now you've got to put on this renewed mind and knowledge. And you've got to walk after the image of the Creator. And now you put on the practices with this new mind and with this new heart. And you put on, in verse 12, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts. Put on kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And we could go on and on and on. The point being is this, church. If you are not in an active battle right now to put off the old, and put on the renewed mind and walk in the image of your Creator, you are still walking in the way of the Gentiles and the rest of the world. That's the truth. You may not be doing some great sin. You may not be out there living it up and, and falling into just deeper and deeper things, but if you are not putting off the old and putting on this new mind and new heart and following this way, you are following the old walk. You're still following what you want, your desire, your heart. It's not about honor and giving thanks to God. It's about you. And that is not a walk that is worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Do you see that? You have to see that this morning. <clears throat> Go back to Ephesians chapter 4. I've got to speed this thing up. I'm not even going to get into the practices. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 23 through 24. Look at the difference. The old self, in verse 22, belongs to worldly ways. He says, put off your old self, which belongs to the former manner of life. It belongs to the former manner of life and is corrupt. So the old self belongs to the worldly ways. The old self is corrupt. The old self has a futile mind. The old self is deceived. Look at verse 22 again. It is corrupt through deceitful desires. You're deceived. You're like... Solomon, Ecclesiastes, you're literally living your life thinking, I'm good, I'm great, me and God, we're okay. And the whole time, you're neither honoring Him nor giving thanks. You're not living after His image. You don't understand your purpose in this world. And you are deceived. That's the old, the old self. But the new self, on the contrary, in verse 24, look at the new self. And to put on the new self. The new self is created. The old self is corrupted. The new self is created after the likeness and righteousness and holiness. The new self belongs to the likeness of its image. The new self has a renewed mind in knowledge. Look what he says again in... Um, I'll have to find it. In verse 23... 
the new self, and to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. The new self has a renewed mind in knowledge. The new self is based on truth, not deceit. And so there is a big difference in the old and a big difference in the do. I'm only going to get to cover one of them this morning, so let's just look at the very first practice he covers in verse 25 right here. He says, Now this I say and testify, I'm sorry, 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Everything he's fixing to lay out from here on out is based on the fact that we need to make sure that we're putting this stuff off because it affects how we relate to one another. And remember, how important is unity in this thing? Vital. Key. And so we need to make sure we understand that we can't come lying to each other. You know what he's saying here? He's saying here, guys, we've got to be real with each other. We have to be real with each other. You are who you are. You don't have to be somebody else. You don't have to act like somebody else. You don't have to be anybody other than who you are. And if somebody don't like it, they need to humble themselves. And so what he's saying right here is we have to exchange lying for speaking the truth. The Bible says God cannot lie. It's contrary to his nature. The Bible says he is truth. And if we are being renewed in this truth and created in his image, then guess what? We can't walk in this anymore. You know, Revelations 21 verse 8 literally says that no liar will enter into heaven, but they will bust the lake of fire wide open. Every liar will bust the lake of fire wide open. And so we need to understand that this is not a characteristic of the new nature of God that we're under. This is the old nature. <laughs> I'm going to tell this story. It's a joke. <clears throat> but it, 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 it fits. Listen closely. I heard about this, uh, this young boy. i got to try to remember. I heard about this young boy. He was a bad liar, very bad liar. He showed up to uh, school one morning two hours late, and the teacher was so tired of his lies, she thought, I'm going to hear what it is this time, but we're going to teach this boy a lesson. And so he come up, and the boy's name was Sean. I don't know if it was McKittrick or Collins, but one of the two. <laughs> but um, <clears throat> they said, Sean... You are two hours late. What, is, what happened? He said, teacher, you won't ever believe it. He said, I actually showed up two hours early for school. He said, I showed up and I didn't want to be late. I wanted to be on time. He said, so I showed up two hours early and I brought my fishing pole. I knew I liked to fish, so I just sat out there by the pond beside the school and I was fishing. And right before time for school, I caught a 25-pound largemouth bass. He said, I knew that my mama would be so upset with me if I did not take this thing home and feed the family with it. He said, so I took that fish, that 25-pound bass, and I drug it home, and I cleaned it, and I put it in the freezer, and I had it all put up. He said, and now that's why I'm two hours late. I was just trying to feed my family. And the teacher looked at him and said, Sean, I've had all this I can take. Go see the principal. I've already talked to him. He already knows about the situation. He knows why you're coming. And so he goes to the principal's office, and the principal says, Sean, why are you here? He said, well, principal, let me tell you. And he told his story, and the principal says, Sean, I don't know what else to do but to make a le lesson out of you. He said, so let me tell you a story. He said, this morning before school, I was walking through the park. He said, and when I came through this park, a 27-foot grizzly bear came out of the woods and was fixing to eat me alive. He said, but all of a sudden, 
a little old chihuahua come out of the woods and ate that bear down to every piece. And the little boy looked at him and the principal said, Now, Sean, do you believe that? He said, Principal, not only do I believe it, that was my dog. <laughs> now, here's the point. There are many reasons why we lie. Sometimes we lie because we don't want to admit that we were wrong. Many times we lie because we don't want people to see the truth in us, that I just overslept and I didn't get up in time to get here. Many times we lie because we want people to think that we are greater than we are. We have something we don't have. Principal, not only, not only do I believe it, but that was my dog. This story has all the elements of why we lie. And here's what Paul is telling you. He's saying, people, don't lie to each other anymore. Be, put away all falsehood. Be who you are. I don't care if you're at the bottom of the totem pole or you're at the top. You're all equal in this field. There ain't no one greater and no one least in this field. And so... Let's be real with one another. Let's be authentic. Let's don't lie to one another. Let's just tell the truth. And let's make sure that we understand that we are members of one another. And we're all in this together for the same purpose. And so put off that old way of trying to be something that you're not. And trying to hide your faults and trying, trying to act like somebody's not going to like you if they know this about you or they know this about you. Why don't you humble yourself enough to recognize that, you know what, sometimes I oversleep and I'm late to church. Sometimes I, I do things that, that, that aren't godly, that aren't Christian. Sometimes this is who I am and I'm ashamed of it. And I want to confess this thing. And I want people to know who I am. And I want people to help hold me accountable with who I am. And I want to make sure that we're members of one another. And that we're working this together. So the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to put off lying. And I'm just going to speak truth with my neighbor. Because I'm members one of another. <clears throat> we'll pick up next week. We're going to continue on and go into the next few. And then see how far into chapter 5 we get. Nick's going to pick up in uh, February, on February the 10th, on the worthy walk of the family. Listen, husbands and wives, I almost didn't tell you that Nick was going to pick up on this because most of the time as husbands and wives, what, are, what do we not want to be taught about? Because we know how far, how far short we're falling as husbands and wives. We know as heads of the households that we're not doing. I want to encourage you to come in here and listen. And understand that this is who you are, okay. And so God, show me how to change it. Show me how to start making some changes. And I believe that's what you're going to get from Nick when that time comes. So I pray this morning that you don't use this as an excuse to skip out. But I pray that you'll come in with your ears on. You'll pull your seat up to the school of Christ. And you'll learn from him and be taught the truth that is in him.